I'm Andrew J. Boyle. Welcome to North by Norway. This is going to be a podcast of three fjords. I want to tell you today about the huge secret city Adolf Hitler and his master architect Albert Speer planned to build on the Trondheim fjord. Trondheim lies about a third of the way up Norway, just where the, the large bulb of the south meets the long neck of the north. A secret city? Obviously it wasn't a secret for the inner circle of Nazis around Hitler. But the plans to build new Trondheim were kept a closely guarded secret from Norwegians. From the people in whose land it was planned to become the largest conurbation. And why did the Nazis keep plans for the new city on the Trondheim fjord secret from Norwegians? Well, as we'll hear, quite simply, they weren't going to be allowed anywhere near it. We're going to get to the Trondheim fjord by way of the Sognefjord, perhaps the most beautiful of all fjords on Norway's west coast. But right now, I'm on a sailing yacht, together with its owner, my son Magnus, and his small dog, Lucky. And we're just heading out from our hometown of Fredrikstad in the far south of Norway heading out into the Oslo Fjord. We're sailing out into the fjord, hugging the long coast of Krokere, the island of crows, and weaving our way through the coastal archipelago. The Oslo Fjord here is peppered with rocky skerries with little or no vegetation. And now we're approaching a tiny island naked apart from a few low bushes <laughs> that's uh, the island not us not us lads naked apart from a few low bushes it's too cold for that on a early october morning half of this island Roholmen, which means naked scary half of it is protected by heritage legislation because it holds some extraordinary relics from the years of Nazi occupation. Now, it'll take us a few minutes to manoeuvre the yacht alongside the old granite jetty and go ashore. We'll come back here in a few minutes. While Magnus takes care of the navigation, let's move far out to the west of Norway. from the Oslo Fjord to the Sognefjord. If you've been to Norway's fjords on the west coast, north of Bergen, maybe touring or on a cruise ship, you'll know all about the beauty of the Sognefjord. It's the deepest fjord in Norway, also the longest, cutting 205 kilometres, that's 127 miles, into the West Country mountains. Roughly halfway along, 
on the north bank is the stunningly sighted village of Barlestrand, and on its headland is the Quickness Hotel, which has been a honeypot for tourists since 1877. Now, on two of the least auspicious dates in the 20th century, a German ship was anchored in the fjord just off the village. The first date, July the 25th, 1914, and the ship is the Hohenzollern, the huge yacht of Kaiser Wilhelm II. He's returned to this spot by the Songnefjord every summer for the last 20 years. It's his romantic escape. The Kaiser has gone ashore to take coffee with his friend, the painter Hans Dahl, who lives here in Balestrand. Sitting with his coffee, the Kaiser can gaze across the Songnefjord to the Vangsnes promontory, on which now stands a statue towering thirty metres high, a statue of the Viking hero Fritjof the Bold. It was unveiled with great ceremony just one year earlier, in 1913, and it was a gift from Kaiser Wilhelm himself. At this moment, as he is seated in the painter's villa, News arrives that the government of Serbia has ordered mobilisation, and that Austria-Hungary, with Germany's approval, has severed diplomatic relations with Serbia. It means war, of course. And if the Kaiser is to get home before the British Navy get involved, he has to start straight away. The second of those two inauspicious dates is twenty years later, April the 12th, 1934, and the ship at anchor off Balestrand this time is a pocket battleship. It's not flying a flag, it's trying to be as discreet as any battleship can be. But anyway, its name rather gives the game away. It's called the Deutschland. Adolf Hitler is in the fjords, enjoying glorious weather on his one and only visit to Norway. And, according to the local pilot who comes aboard, Hitler is delighted and mesmerised by what he sees from the deck of the Deutschland. For he never leaves the ship, and indeed this is no holiday for the newly appointed Chancellor. He has with him both Germany's chief admiral and the defence minister, who is an army general. Conspicuous by their absence on board for this cruise are members of the Nazi party. Hitler and the representatives of the armed forces have got away from the surveillance and the pressures of Berlin to discuss the future. Just a few weeks later will come the Night of the Long Knives, when Hitler orders the assassination of powerful rivals in the Brownshirts movement. It's an event that establishes him as supreme leader and ties his fate closer to the army and navy for the long haul. I wanted to tell you about this, the Kaiser and Hitler in the Songnefjord, because both of them were there on account of their romantic notions of Nordic brotherhood. Most chilling is Hitler seeking some spiritual resonance in the fjordlands, before his leap into dictatorship. It focuses the mind on what huge, symbolic meaning 
Norway held for Germany's ideologues. And here we are on the island of Råholmen, in the naked skerry in the Oslo Fjord. Just by the jetty, Magnus and I are straight into a disused quarry. Disused, in fact, since shortly after the Second World War. Much of the equipment of the quarry is still here. There's a rusty railway track and metal wagons for moving stone, cranes and a deep-water jetty for shipping stone away from the island. And all around us are blocks of hewn granite quarried in the 1940s. Many of the large blocks have been dressed and carved into their final shapes. Expertly executed curves and cornices. They look ready to just slot into their final place in some majestic arching edifice. Indeed, many of the blocks were to be part of Hitler's victory monument in his new Berlin, the city of Germania that would be the heart of his thousand-year Reich. And some of the blocks were intended for the fabulous city of New Trondheim, that would be the northern capital of the Reich. All around my home of Fredrikstad, there are coastal quarries like this, sites that as early as 1941, were commissioned to provide granite for the Victory Monument and for the new Nordic metropolis. So assured were the Nazi invasion force in Norway of their final victory. The Norwegian authorities recently stamped a conservation notice on the quarry in order to stop naughty Norwegians from hiring helicopters to fly over and haul some of the blocks away. There are what are locally called Hitler stones propping up the barbecue in many a garden around here. My thoughts were turned to the history of Nazi occupation by my reading of an excellent study that was published in 2020. Its author is the Canadian historian Despina Stratigakos, and it's called Hitler's Northern Utopia, Building the New Order in Occupied Norway. Here she outlines the scope of her research. Between 1940 and 1945, German occupiers transformed Norway into a vast construction zone. This remarkable building campaign, largely unknown today, was designed to extend the Greater German Reich beyond the Arctic Circle and turn the Scandinavian country into a racial utopia. From ideal new cities, to a scenic superhighway stretching from Berlin to northern Norway, 
plans to remake the country into a model Aryan society fired the imaginations of Hitler and his architect, Albert Speer. They believed their efforts to build a Nordic empire would improve the genetic stock and confirm their destiny as a new order of Vikings. The most ambitious scheme, a German cultural capital and naval base, remained a closely guarded secret for fear of provoking Norwegian resistance. This final sentence about the secret cultural capital city is a plan I mentioned earlier about New Trondheim. So what Stratigarkos is pointing out is that, according to Nazi ideology, it would be appropriate to place Norwegians right at the top of their pyramid of racial purity and nobility on account of their geographic isolation. And, as their logic goes, the invasion of Norway ought to be regarded in the long run as a nation-building project, inflating the economy, rebuilding the infrastructure of the country, so it would become a proud apex of the Nazi Reich and also tempt Germans to move north and become the first residents of New Trondheim, the capital of the new Vikings. The logic of Nazi racial ideology was, of course, more about skull shapes and Wagner operas than it was science. Recent studies of ancient DNA in Viking burial sites revealed that there was far less blonde hair than in today's Scandinavia. But also, what with having trade routes from Newfoundland to Istanbul, the intermingled genes of the Vikings were quite astew. A Danish geneticist wrote recently in National Geographic, Well, it's pretty clear from the genetic analysis that Vikings are not a homogeneous group of people. A lot of them are mixed individuals. Putting aside the racial assumptions underpinning the occupation of Norway, the sheer arrogance of presuming Norwegians would welcome the occupation force is quite jaw-dropping. Most Norwegians living in 1940 had experienced the joy of independence in 1905, after a century of struggle. Now, of course, there was a sizable degree of collaboration. After all, everyone knows what a quizzling is, the word for a traitor collaborating with an enemy force, and Vidkun Quisling led his party of Norwegian fascists throughout the war. However, the great majority of Norwegians and most of the national institutions turned their backs on Nazi ideology. Not that this could puncture Hitler's utopian dream, the romance of Norway as a new Viking homeland. If the Norwegians wouldn't play ball, he'd just sideline them. Stratigarkos writes that the Nazis intended that German art and culture would blossom in the north and Norway's wild landscapes would be shaped 
according to German ideals of beauty and order, and for German consumption. Norwegian cities would be redesigned to break the troublesome independent spirit of their residents. She also calls the new city on the Trondheim fjord the lodestar of the new order in Norway, as regional planning and new transportation infrastructures would bind this northern hub to the German homeland. In fact, continuing on the theme of cultural arrogance, she points out that the Nazi press assured Germans who might want to move there after the war that it would be a homecoming, a return to the place that had always been theirs. The intended population of New Trondheim was initially set at about 300,000, at a time when Oslo had only 275,000 inhabitants. And, according to Nazi experts, there was space enough for 800,000 to make their future homes there. Hitler told his architect, Speer, that what he wanted was the creation of the northernmost cultural centre of the Great German Reich, with opera, theatre, library buildings and a great picture gallery, and that he himself, Hitler, wanted to act as the new city's patron. Furthermore, out on the headland of the fjord, looking out towards the west, a monumental war cemetery and memorial would be erected, high on the promontory with a huge swastika. Well, we're getting ready to leave Roholmen, and all around us are those granite blocks that were intended for Hitler's victory monument, for his city of New Trondheim, and for the war memorial with its huge swastika that would look out across the Trondheim fjord. One of the largest blocks of granite quarried here during the war was actually removed in the late 1940s to show gratitude for American aid to Norway during and after the war, a monument was erected in Oslo, paid for by a nationwide fundraising campaign. By the Arkeshus Castle in the harbour, the huge granite sculpture of President Franklin D. Roosevelt looks out across the Oslo fjord. Next time... A new film on Netflix. Troll! But for now, tak for at du hørte på. Thanks for listening. And if you like the cool north, tell all your cool friends. Bye!